and welcome back to the Well Projects Leadership Exchange podcast. The Well Projects Leadership Exchange is a series connecting thought leaders in the HIV community to explore one another's work, activism, and personal experiences. This series brings together cis and trans women and others who uplift women's voices across the HIV community in dialogue. On today's episode, the Well Projects Community Advisory Board member, Destiny Smith, and the Well Projects Community Advisory Board Chair and WRI member, Gina Brown, have a cross-generational dialogue in which they learn remarkable things from each other. Um, so I am Destiny Smith. I'm a part of the um, Community Advisory Board at the Well Project. I am also a blogger um, with a girl like me. I have published a book called Living My Truth. I am now 25 years old and I have been HIV positive. It will be four years um, the day after Christmas this year. Um, I think that's it. So, Gina, if you want to introduce yourself. Yes. So I am Gina Brown, um, a woman living with HIV for 27 years in April. Um, so older than my HIV is older than you, <laughs> Destiny. I know. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I'm a community um, engagement manager at the Southern AIDS Coalition, and I'm also on the uh, Well Projects CAB Community Advisory Board. And I attend the Well Project's um, Women's Research Initiative on HIV and AIDS. Okay. Um, so one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you, I was reading your um, your bio actually on the Well Project, and I seen how long you have been HIV positive and how you how you deal with it, and um, that you also went back to school to be a social worker, and that's something I've thought about. I haven't did it, but I thought about it, um, and it kind of just um, drew me to you. So I just wanted to get a chance to talk to you and get to know you. Um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm glad to hear that you're thinking about school and that you're thinking about social work. You know, social work is one of those professions that um, is really, really rewarding. It's rewarding. Mm -hmm. It's a little work, but it feels so good when you see someone go from point A to point C. Yeah. And you know that you help them somehow in that journey. So thank you for wanting to join that profession. You know, um, I love being a social worker, mm -hmm. even though I don't work as a social worker in a clinic or anything, I'm a community engagement manager, but that's still social work, right? Yeah. You're still helping people navigate things. You're still um, training people and, and teaching them, educating them, all of those things. So, yeah. So thank you for choosing me. <laughs> thank you for showing up. <laughs> Um, okay, so we can get to the first question. Um, my first question for you is what drew you to HIV advocacy work like and what keeps you in it? What drew me to this work was um, going to the cl my clinic, my HIV outpatient clinic, mm -hmm. and they, we had a men's side and a women's side. And they would come to the door and they would call you by your first and last name. 
And I'm from New Orleans. And in New Orleans, names, last names are really unique. You'll hear last name and you know the whole family, right? Because mm-hmm. so they called this one lady's name one day in the waiting room. And every head in the, in the waiting room was filled with women. And we all turned and looked at her. And I can remember the look because we knew her name. We yeah. knew her family. And um, I can remember the look on her face. And I left there that day and I went home and I called the clinic back and I spoke to a lady and I said, I don't think they should call us by our first and last name. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know it was called advocacy. I didn't know that I was speaking up for people. I thought I was just doing what was right. Yeah. And um, and she said, well, what should we call you? I say most our providers, our doctors and nurses know us so they can just come and call us by our first name. Mm-hmm. You know, and the next time I went to the clinic, we were going every three months back then. This was ages ago. Destiny, you weren't <laughs> even born yet. Child. But uh, <laughs> when I went back to the clinic, they called me by my first name. And that's when I kind of knew. And then I knew that I wanted to continue to do that um, to help people, especially women who look like me. Yeah. You know, I was um, when I started in this thing, I had a GED. I was in, you know, I'm in recovery. Um, I've been in an abusive relationship. So I thought of all of the women like me who nobody was really speaking up for, Mm -hmm. you know, and I wanted to be a part of that. So I guess it was being selfish. That's what you know, drove me to HIV (laughs) because I wanted to be a part of something bigger than me. I love that. And I definitely get the um, recovery part. Um, In my book, I actually talk about my mom. She has been clean and sober going, going almost nine years. Um, That's amazing. And I went through the whole thing with her. Like I was 13 years old in church praying late at night for her to be able to fight that and overcome it and be able to be in not saying she wasn't an actual mom but to be there present as herself all the way and um since she's been clean and sober our relationship is a lot stronger she's literally like my best friend so I definitely get that and um she's one of my biggest supporters and I think um being clean and sober and HIV and all the things we do to fight for HIV it kind of goes head and head together and I don't think a lot of people know that yeah so I like that um our second question as someone with um decades of HIV advocacy experience what advice would you give to women who are newer to it? The first thing I would tell someone, a woman who's new to this work um, or to this fight is be careful what you share because once you put it out there, you can't take it back. And always remember that if you don't center you, you can, if, you're, if we're not well, we can't help other people, right? So mm-hmm. if I'm not centering me and taking care of me and drinking my water and exercising and doing something to look out for me then when I go into community I can't help community and I think about it even like as far as like our mental health you know something we don't talk about a lot but I've been in therapy for years because I understand that I can't go and and stand in front of a group of women who may be just as broken as I was 
mm-hmm. without me fixing some part of me so that I can stand with them and help them to fix some part of them, uh, you know? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you talk about the importance to you of both having a mentor and being a mentor? Yes. So having a mentor allows you to really grow, especially if you choose someone who's experienced in this. You know, um, my mentor, I went through, I went to a training and when she walked in the room, I knew I was watching myself in the future walk in that room. She was me. And I was with one of my friends um, and we looked at each other because the girl who walked in the room with her was my friend. And we and I said, that's me. And she said, and that's me. And it, they had our personalities. And I knew that I wanted this woman to be my mentor. And um, I knew I could grow and learn from her. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I have a saying because I deal with a lot of young people. Um, everybody doesn't need mentoring. Some people need mothering. And I've learned <laughs> I've learned the difference. I understand that. So, <laughs> So my babies that, that need mothering, that's what I give them. Mm-hmm. And those who ask for mentorship, I give them that. And it's important for me to give back too, right? Mm-hmm. So I learned from this amazing woman who poured all this stuff into me. So it's only fair that I pour into somebody else. You know, um, I always say like my, what she told me when I asked her, Linda Scruggs, I said, will you be my mentor? And she looked at me and she said, yes. She said, but I'll tell you one thing. And I was like, all right, what? You know, I thought she was going to like, give me the, the, the secrets of the kingdom or something. She said, I will not call you. I will not run behind you. <laughs> if there's something you want, you will call me. Mm-hmm. And I would call her and I would ask questions. You know, and there have been times as, as a mentee that I didn't want to listen, but I knew that I had to. Like once I was mad with somebody and I like went off on them on Facebook. <laughs> And I did it early in the morning and she happened to see it and she called me and she said, take it down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I want them to see it. And she's <laughs> like, nope, you're on, on the road to leadership. Take it down. And I took it down, you know, but it is important. It's really important because we can't navigate this stuff by ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's bigger than us. You know, that's, there's a lot of policy involved. It's a lot of human feelings involved. And if we don't know how to interact with each other, then we all in trouble. So as, as a mentor or a mentee, I've learned that when I'm reaching with one hand to grab onto her hand, I got to put a hand down and, and let somebody grab my hand. I can't do it just one way, you know? Um, and, and it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to know that I can go to her when I need something and then to see my mentees come to me and just like a parent, you always want your your kids to be better than you. So yeah. I want my mentees to go higher than me. You know, yeah. get a PhD, you know, I'm screaming. <laughs> get a PhD, get an MD, get whatever. I want you, I want you to continue to to, to move. Because you see all this white hair. <laughs> you know it's almost time for me to like. Just sit down and you know and do some other things. Um, I'm not I'm not gonna leave this movement. Yeah. You know, um I, I'm in it for the long haul, but at the same time, where I am in the movement, 
I am okay with moving out the way and letting somebody else occupy that space, that space. especially yeah. one of my mentees, because I know I, I, I did them right by yeah. giving them what I have. So I'm okay with them being there. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I love that. I think um, I speak on that all the time, mentorship. I think everybody should have mentors. I can't force people to get them, but I think everybody should have them. Um, I literally have a mentor in every aspect of my life. Yeah. I have a mentor for my HIV advocacy. I actually met her through the Love Project. Um, I have a mentor for like my business. I look. I have a life mentor. I just feel like mentors are everything, and everybody can learn from everybody. So I, I definitely get that. Yes. Um. The next question is: How do you lift up? Um, advocates who are newer to the field and why is that important to you? Well, the first thing I do is I um I love going to conferences and I love meeting people who are there for the first time. I've never been to I one. Want I you to have one. I've never been to one. I want to go to one. So <laughs> when you come, you will see. I want your experience to be so good that you come back. Yeah. You know, so I will spend time with with a new person. I will talk to them. I'll introduce them to people because mm-hmm. I understand how it is to walk in a room and not know anybody. Yeah. You know, um, I think it's really, really important for me to give a new advocate a platform, help them get a platform. And, you know, we used to always say back in the day, I speak for the people yeah. who don't have a voice. And then I realized that we all have a voice. Some mm-hmm. of us don't have a microphone. Yeah, so I started like passing the microphone. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing with with new people, with with young people, with new people, giving them an opportunity Mm -hmm. to do things. You know, if you're invited to all of the meetings and sometimes say, you know what, I can't come, but I know the perfect person. Let me call destiny. You know, (laughs) that kind of thing. Yeah. That's how you move people in this work. That's how you move people in this movement, you know, um, by giving them opportunities, Mm -hmm. by making sure that that you're not becoming that dinosaur in the room because you've been in that same seat forever mm-hmm. and you don't want to move because you think if you move, they're going to forget you or something. They're not going to forget you. We have to lift each other up. Mm-hmm. Not be afraid of somebody coming. I want y'all to have more knowledge than I have. That means we've done a good job of giving y'all that knowledge. Yeah. Well, um. Yeah. I love it. I love I love it. Um, what made you decide to go back to school and what impact has it had on your life? So I went back to school after Hurricane Katrina mm-hmm. in 2005. I found myself in Dallas and um, I went to the hospital. I was interviewing for a job and it had this one job that would have been perfect for me, but I didn't have a degree. Mm-hmm. And I realized not having a degree was really hindering me. Yeah. You know, um, everybody doesn't want a degree. And I understand that. And I don't try to push it on people. But if somebody say, you know, I want one, I'll help you figure out how to get to that point. But I wanted to, I wanted to give more to the community. And um, I remember this girl, she was living with HIV. And I told her, I'm going to school. And she said, I don't know why you're going to die. And I kind of, you know, and I'm, I'm a lot more um, polished now than I was. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of turned and looked at her, you know, me mugged her, and I said, 
we're going to all die. I just want to yeah. die with some letters behind my name. Okay. Because you know? <laughs> that was my truth. My truth was I, I wanted this for me, mm-hmm. not for anybody else, you know. Um, and it, 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 it impacted my life. First of all, going to college at 41 was an experience. I was the oldest one in most of my classes. And I sat in the front of the class, <laughs> class ended at nine, the professor would ask at 8.55, anybody have a question? And my hand would go, <laughs> <laughs> my hand would go up and I could feel the kids behind me, <laughs> like boring holes in my back with their eyes. Yes. They were so mad at me. We never got out of class early because of me. <laughs> and one day, one of the little girls, well, I call them little girls, young women, she said, uh, Miss Gina, can we get out early tonight? And I said, baby, let me tell you something. I said, when you're young, you can play with school. I said, I'm an old woman. I was 41. I said, I'm an old woman. I said, I'm paying for this. <laughs> so I'm going to ask every question I can. Okay. And got it. You know, she was like, okay. And just walked away. And I realized that um, it was a different experience for me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was, I'm, I'm one of those people that no matter, and not bragging, but no matter where I go, no matter what I do, I kind of become popular. I don't even know why. Like, why do people want to be around me? I'm not interested, you know, that kind of thing. But on, on campus, I told my story. Mm. And I would walk across campus and the kids would say, that's Miss Gina. She knew everything about HIV. <laughs> I would say, no, I don't. <laughs> but they all got to know me. Um, that experience was amazing. I made the dean's list. I never graduated from anything but kindergarten in my life. Um, and I made the dean's list every year, you know, um, and it just gave me this, this sense of pride. You know, I went to HBCU, um, Southern University, and just in Louisiana, just going to SU is like a badge of honor. It's like going to Howard University, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it impacted my life in a really positive way. And it made other women in this movement look and say, she did it. I can do it too. And that's what it's all about. That is. Your story is everything. Uh, one more question. <laughs> In the leadership exchange you did with Chuck, is it Wyra? I don't want to say Wira. his last name wrong. Chuck Wyra. You said that five years from now, you see yourself doing a different kind of work. Can you describe what you'd like to do next? The next thing I'd like to do is real housing work. So not just for people living with HIV, but for the broader community. So making sure that that policy and programs are are addressing the real need for housing. And when I say that, I'm talking about stable, affordable housing, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times programs and vouchers are connected to, to units and you don't always put people in the best unit, right? So I want to make sure that people are really that we're looking at at homelessness, the unhoused population in a way that that's done with dignity and respect. That we're helping to move people from unhoused to housed and working Mm -hmm. with them while they're housed so that they don't become unhoused again. You know, um, when I did case management, I was the housing case manager at a um, part A program here in New Orleans. And that was one of the most rewarding jobs I ever had. being able to work with people and to help them get off the street and into a house, you know, um, be able, being able to help them connect housing with their health care. Because housing is health care and housing is prevention. Yes. 
And it doesn't just prevent HIV, but it prevents all kinds of other things. Housing can prevent addiction. Because if I'm if I'm homeless, I'm already feeling bad about myself. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm either gonna drink, I'm gonna smoke, I'm gonna take some pills, I'm gonna do something to make to med- to self-medicate to make me feel better. Yeah. But really working with the ho- with the unhoused population. And as a way to really make a difference in our communities. We have so many abandoned houses and they have people sleeping on the ground. And I'm like, well, why we can't have a program where we all just get in there, almost like Habitat for Humanity, mm-hmm. and we fix it up and we move people in. You know, why can't we do that? We can't do that because the policies haven't changed. So have to work on both sides of that, the policy side and the program side. Oh my God, I'm just thinking because on one of the questions earlier, you said when your mentor walked into that room, you knew that was you. And yeah. you telling your story, and I'm just like, that's me. That's me. What? <laughs> because I'm so stuck on there is a abandoned hotel where I live. Um, over a hundred something rooms. It has conference rooms. It has a restaurant. It has so many things, and I want it. And I want it so I can house homeless people and put stations in there where they can learn um, different skills and different things that they don't have to go to school to get jobs, but they can still get jobs. They can get back on their feet. We can help them get housing. Everything they need will be in this one building. And when they leave they'll be good to go. They don't have to worry about being back on the street. They don't have to worry about not having someone in their corner fighting for them. And you're just telling your story and I'm like, that's me. I'm going to you when we get off of here because <laughs> yes. I what, love that. What, what's the thing that drives you, Destiny? What's that thing that, that puts you on this course? I'm not talking about your diagnosis. I'm talking mm-hmm. about having a heart that you have. Because you said you um, were playing for your mom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think um, so. When we were younger, we were we were raised in the church. I mean, we went to church every Sunday. Um, I was on praise dance teams. I uh, God just always when I went through things, I never I could be alone, but I never really felt alone. Um, and I've always. Treat others how you want to be treated. I don't I don't like seeing like I live in Iowa, so our winters be so bougie, it's crazy. Like we can have a hot winter one year, but the next year it's like we got negative a hundred degrees and all these people are sleeping outside and it's like people just drive by and they don't care. Like when I was maybe 15 or 16, I used to hang out a lot and drink a lot. And me and my friends were actually leaving the grocery the liquor store and there was a guy out in front of the liquor store and he said he just needed a few dollars to get some gas so him and his mom could make it back to Iowa City and all I had was a 20 and I gave him that 20 and everybody I was with got tripping like why are you giving those people your last 20 dollars and he's not about to do nothing but go on the liquor store and buy that man said he needed gas money so him and his mom could fill up their car and get to Iowa City. When I gave him that $20, God, no, I was giving him that $20 because that man needed to get home. And that's what he told me. I just, I feel like everybody needs help, but people 
are sometimes afraid to ask for it because everybody judges. Yep. Everyone judges. They act like they don't. And we, we've all done it. I've done it. I can have the biggest heart in the world, but I'm still judged and it's not right. And I just feel like if I can help people, I want to help them. I want to get homeless people off of the streets. I want to, if I could help every homeless person around the world, I would because it's too much. Like people are so stuck on what did they do to get there and why did they stay there so long? It doesn't matter. You you never know what someone's going through. You don't even know if you could live 30 seconds in their shoes and you're worried about, well, if he didn't choose this, he wouldn't be there. Or if she didn't do this drug, she wouldn't be there. You don't know why she even started the drugs. You don't know. You don't know what happened when she was younger. You didn't ask her anything. You you just looked at her and you started judging her. And I just feel like I just want to help everybody. I want everybody to be in a home, be warm, be be able to, if they want to work, work be able to take care of their family, know their family, just have somebody there. Because yeah. having somebody is is literally everything, especially after 2020, having somebody is everything. You have a good heart and don't let don't let this old world change it here. Yeah. Because then you you're gonna fall down, you might get beat up sometimes, but get back up. Yeah. And keep your heart because that's what's gonna get you through all of this. You know, right. I think about that a lot that um that I genuinely like people. Mm-hmm. I really like people. So it's easy for me when I see you to hug you. It's easy for me to give you a kind word. Yeah. I'm one of those women that um if I see another woman and I pay attention to shoes, I don't even wear heels, but I love to see <laughs> women walking heels. Yes, I don't and wear I might look and I'll be like, girl, those shoes. And that's all yes. I have to say. And the smile that comes on their face. Because I like to make people feel good and like you have that same heart. Yeah. So don't lose your heart. Yeah. What made you write a book? Um, so when I found out my status, I kind of shut down and um, I didn't do anything. Like I was working two jobs. I was actually pregnant with my second child when I found out. Um and we don't, nobody around here really talks about HIV. So the only thing I really thought about is stuff I've seen in movies. So how long I got to live? When am I going to die? Like, what's going to happen to my baby? I got another human growing inside of me and she's already feeling it. Um, so when I got out of that depression, I actually came upon the Well Project and I started blogging and just being able to express myself with people not judging me and people actually leaving kind words and stuff like that. It just, everything I've poured out onto paper and wrote, I just put it all together and published it. Um, I just wanted to be able to tell my own story because even, even when I told my story, it wasn't because I just woke up one day and was like, let me just tell the world I got HIV. Other people were telling my story and it was people who wasn't there or people who didn't even talk to me and ask me anything. And I just feel like, no, no one can tell my story. My story is my story. If somebody's going to tell it's going to be me or God. So I um, wrote the book and even when I wrote my status, because when I told my story, I did make a public status on Facebook. I got a lot more genuine, loving comments than negative. Like 
all my family members were calling me talking about they were arguing with people and so and so said this and I I never seen none of it like all the negative stuff I never seen it and I just know that was God because everything I seen was positive stuff even from people I would have thought would have judged me and that's me judging them um but yeah uh the book just it really helped me like it it felt like once I did that status and once I wrote that book so much weight was lifted off of me and it was just like just live your life and that's right whatever happens like, just live your life yeah you know that's why I, t- I I talked about being in recovery um a lot when this was before my diagnosis mm-hmm. um, and I was working at a nursing home and I this girl said why you told told them you was in recovery I said because y'all already knew and y'all mm-hmm. gonna tell it, y'all's gonna tell the wrong story. Right. <laughs> tell yes. the right story. <laughs> yeah. So that's smart. That's smart. And I'm proud of you Thank for doing you. that, for taking your destiny and see your name destiny. You <laughs> took your destiny in your own hands. You know, yeah. you didn't allow somebody else to um paint you the way they wanted to see you. You painted mm-hmm. yourself the way that you see you. And that's big. You know. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, Destiny. Um a lot of what I've experienced in this movement has been very positive. It's been very loving. It's been nurturing. Yeah. Um, it's been a place where I feel like no matter what I say, somebody in that room going to understand. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to get it, you know. And that's the beauty of when we all come together in in coalition when we all come together in sisterhood. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the Well Project is so important to us, right? Because you found them. Yeah. And and you found them because they make sure they're visible. You know what I'm saying? So not only can a destiny find them or a Gina find them, but some little girl today who may be looking can find mm-hmm. them. And then in finding them, she's gonna find us. Right. She's gonna find us. And in no time, you're going to be sitting across from, from a new person. Mm-hmm. And that person is going to see themselves in you, <laughs> you know, and it's going to make you. Because when you said that, I, I just felt like not prideful, mm-hmm. but proud. Yeah. Proud that I live my life or that my life is in such a way that someone like Destiny can look at it and say, Wait a minute. That's me. <laughs> That's me. And I love that. Not that you, not that it's me, but that you can actually look out and see yourself in someone. Right. And know that that you can go as far as you want to go, sweet. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of this, you know. Um four years in, you tell your story. You write a book, you write blogs, you're sitting at this, because, you know, being a cab member, we are decision makers. You're sitting at this planning body, this planning table, you know, the next thing is just getting you to a conference. Yeah. And and you meet more people, because I know, um, like you say, they don't really talk about HIV an hour. So not that you want to talk about it every day, because some days you're not going to want to talk about HIV. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the day you might just want to talk about people who are homeless. The right. unhoused. Let's talk about them. Mm-hmm. You know, or even it might not even be about real people. You know, it might just be about a character on TV that you want to talk about that. Yeah. Whatever it is, always do what feels good to you. 
I said all that. See, I, my daughter tell me all the time, mama, you go around the block just to get to this one point. <laughs> I said, I don't care. <laughs> when you get as old as me, you, you do that sometimes. But for real, you know, um, how are your kids? How are they doing? Um, my kids are good. They are so smart and intelligent. And uh, I, I haven't had the Pacific conversation with them yet. They're still young. My son will be sick. Um, my daughter will be three this year. We actually have the same birthday, me and my daughter. Really? Uh, yeah, we have the same birthday. Um, they both know I take medicine every day. Um, but everything, everything I do really is for them. So they see a strong mom. They see somebody who gets the job done, no matter what the situation is. And my kids, we're all cancers, so we're all soft, we're big crybabies. <laughs> so they will tell me they love me a hundred times a day, and that's really that's all I need to keep pushing. Like yes, those little people are everything. So when my daughter was little, um, before I told her my status, because you know I, I was pregnant with her when I was diagnosed, so mm-hmm. she's always been a part of it. She just didn't know. But before I told her my status, when she went to kindergarten, I told her, I sat her down and I said, if it's wet and it's not yours, don't touch it. Yeah. Because, you know, little kids, if somebody's bleeding, the first thing we want to do is put our finger in it. That's my daughter. She want to drink after everybody. I just like, girl, you just let it go. If you thirsty, call me something. We can get you something to drink. Don't touch it. But But I was like, if it's wet, don't, you know, if it's wet, it's not yours, don't touch it. Yeah. Um. And then when she was seven, then, but this was years ago, and there was a book called Anissa Story. My grandma has AIDS. And because she, she asked me, she said, why do you take all those pills and all I don't what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, and we read the book together. And that's how I disclosed yeah. my status to her, you know, and now she works in the field and I she's not that. living with HIV. You know? Right. Yeah, I love that. I know. Um, uh, September of last year, I actually quit my job to, because I was a part of the cab last year. I didn't get to do, do a lot because I was working full time. I didn't really get to see my kids a lot because I was doing school, working full time. Um, so I actually quit my job and now I just do all things entrepreneur. Um, and with my kids seeing that, my son's the same way. Like he, anything he sees me do, he wants to do. Um, so we've actually been talking about writing a book together. So. The book will be of the conversation of me telling him my story and what I went through and why things are the way they are and how he doesn't have to, because he's very overprotective, even though he's so little, that he doesn't have to protect me or worry about things because I got this. So it'll just be a conversation of mom has HIV and let's talk about it. And that'll help so many people because, you know, that's still the two people, well, two groups of people that people really struggle with telling, and that's their parents and their children. Mm-hmm. You know, because we know that that with HIV, people really think about a behavior. They don't think that HIV is just a medical condition, really. You mm-hmm. know, Because um, if somebody told you they had cancer, you wouldn't say how many packs of cigarettes you smoked. Yeah. So if I tell you I'm living with HIV, you shouldn't say, how did you get it? Yeah, you know that. No, don't don't even ask me that. Right, so that question is so annoying. It really is, and that's not what doing that with your baby will help people answer that question of how do you tell your children? Yeah, you know, 
and you tell them in a way that that is not going to harm them, that's not going to scare them. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and we, the beauty of it is we know so much more now today than we knew 25 years ago. Right. You know, so um, I can't wait. to. I'm going to get your first book, too, but I can't wait to <laughs> write the second one. Because my grandson, he's 10, so he knows I always tell him, you know, you know, Gigi got HIV, right? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, Gigi, I already know that. How many times you going to tell me that? He said, even though I don't know what HIV is, you just keep telling me. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, he needs to know, like, what yeah. it is, you know, that kind of thing. So when you write your book, I'll be sure to buy it. Definitely. I appreciate that. Um, Let's see. Uh, that was all of the questions. Um. But did you have any more questions or final thoughts? I just want to say, Destiny, thank you so much for interviewing me. Thank you. In fact, you didn't interview me. Thank you so much for this conversation that yes. I just had. You cannot tell that there's a 26, 20. Oh, Lord, you're 25. A 30 year difference. <laughs> And and us because we were able to really um, um, come together against that. Well, come together in spite of our age difference. Mm-hmm. And this is what an intergenerational conversation really should look like. Yeah, you know, not me sitting here thinking that I know everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm, well, I'm gonna tell Destiny how to live her life. No. <laughs> no. Destiny might be able to tell me how to live my life, you know, that kind of thing. So um, thank you for sharing with me. Thank you for, for having this conversation with me. And thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Thank you for letting me talk to you and have a conversation with you and get to know you. Um, I have your number now, so I'll probably yes. start getting on your nerves. <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate you and everything that you do. Thank you for listening to the Wall Project's Leadership Exchange Podcast. You can watch and listen to more episodes on our website, thewellproject.org backslash exchange. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media.